Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. I'm going to do my best to preach today, but what is more important for me this morning is that a theological foundation is laid for you to see that what I'm trying to get you to see is all in the Word. It's all in the Word of God. Turn your Bibles quickly. James chapter 1 verse 21. James chapter 1 verse 21. James chapter 1 verse 21. It says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive, keyword receive, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. You see, I want to start my charge this morning by talking about what you ought to do with the word of God. There is what to do with the word of God. Some people don't know what to do with the word of God. You see, the devotion of a Christian should be likened to the injector of a vehicle. And I'm not a mechanic, neither did I study mechanical engineering. But the little bit I know is this. The car's fuel injector, all right, has the responsibility of receiving fuel from the gas tank of the, of the car, all right? And by combustion, it aids the movement of the car. So it receives it facilitates combustion, all right, and that helps the car to move. This is how every Christian should be and act, all right. When we receive the word of God, it must be for application. You don't just receive it and hoard it. You don't just receive it and feel good about it. You must move with it. You must move. And so, James says, Receive with meekness the implanted word and do the word. Two things to do with the word of God. It says receive it and do it. Receive it and do it. You don't receive without doing. Like an injector, you must, after you receive, there must be a combustion process. Alright? It must burn. It must burn. You sit on it, you think on it, you meditate on it, and you apply. I tell you prophetically, there has never been a time more urgent as this. Where the world needs doers of the word. We need to be doers. You have to do something with the word of God. And what does he say? It means to be a doer of the word of God. He says in verse 23... If anyone hears the word and is not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. When he observes himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what manner of man he is. So someone who is not a doer of the word is like a man who stands in front of a mirror. And the moment he turns his back against the mirror, he forgets what he looked like, what he's wearing, his physical features. So a doer of the word of God is someone who contemplates the word. Contemplates. You must learn to contemplate the word. Retain it in your consciousness. You must walk the talk. Walk the talk. Talk and do. This is so crucial. Our generation is counting on us. You must stand up and be counted. There is no secret service in God. If you are a Christian today, you must be bold. You must be bold. And if you've received the Holy Ghost, you know what I'm saying? You must be bold. That spirit that you have received must stir up boldness in you. Now is the time. So I want to take time to share with you very important thoughts. Be doers of the word. I want to say this, and those of you who have discernment, you see my heart. I'm, I'm, 
I'm saying this out of gratitude to God. But because there's a lesson in this. Look at Celebration Church. Look at what God has used us to do in seven years and a half. You know what I realized? It's not so difficult to evangelize the world. It's not so difficult. If everybody had the right drive, the right motivation in the word, we will evangelize this world in three years. We can. We can. So just in case you don't already know, the theme for this month is global evangelism. Global evangelism. And I want to read Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 to 20. Matthew chapter 28 from verse 18 to 20. Matthew 28 from verse 18 to 20. The Bible says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You see, it is fitting that right after believers' authority, we're talking about evangelism. Because this is the exact flow here. He says, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go, therefore! If you learned anything last month, you must go. Go, therefore, make disciples of nations. You see, the authority of Christ is not just for your benefit, just to make your life better. You are empowered to reach the world. He says, go, therefore, make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you to do. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is so crucial. You see, um, many people call this the Great Commission. You know, like someone said, it has become the Great Omission. Because the church has mastered everything else except this one. You know, some people have even come up with flimsy excuses not to evangelize. They say, you know what, you don't have to actually preach. Let your good works do the preaching. Can I tell you something? That's the direct opposite of the gospel. Nobody can understand the gospel by good works because the gospel is that your works cannot save you. Nobody by watching your morality will understand the gospel. Morality is great. And if you don't have fruit as a Christian, maybe you're not a Christian. But he, because he has worked in us, or he works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. But listen, this is the gospel. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. We must throw out this, this error in the body. You don't know better than God. He said teach. He didn't say demonstrate. Teach. It's news. He called it news. No newscaster comes, you know, noonday news and starts demonstrating and expects that by his demonstration you understand what is going on in the world. You have to say what is happening. And I don't know who has taught the church to ignore pressing matters. There's just this silly idea. A lot will be happening and nobody is talking. That also has to stop. Why? Why the hypocrisy? Why are we so silent? Do you even see what is happening? We have three simple objectives this month. Number one, to realign our focus. Realign our focus. Every pastor to me, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ. We must realign our focus. We must remember why we're here. We must remember who has sent us. Listen, Jesus said, go. Do you realize he's going to ask you? Have you gone? What are we doing? What's our emphasis? 
Where is our priority? What's our focus? He said, go. Let's realign our focus. Number two. This teaching series will prophetically align us to withstand the fiery darts of the enemy. Because there's been an increase of that in this day. As biblical prophecy has told us in detail. An increase of that. And many Christians are not even seeing it. You know why? Because you, you grow in discernment with teaching. And so if nobody talks about things like this, you're not going to discern. Satan is doing a lot against the body of Christ and no one is even sick. Very few people are even seeing it. We just have this cause era, era attitude. That's not what we've been called to do. We must prophetically align ourselves. This is no prophecy of doom, but perilous times are coming. It's in the word. And we're seeing it in our day. Let's align ourselves. We're going to take up prophetic strategy. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. Can I tell you something? Celebration Church is not the type of church you join for hype. Yes, we, we like to do things right, the best way we know how to. But just in case you don't know, for the new bees amongst us, we are very serious about preaching the gospel. You, you have to understand this. You have to understand this. Jesus actually commissioned us. This is not a joke. Number three thing we're going to emphasize this month is individual participation. There is, there is just this mental model that suggests to people that, you know, evangelism is for pastors. Evangelism is for highly trained apologists. Evangelism is for professionals of theology. It's for you! You have to develop a sense of responsibility. It's for you! It's for you. You know what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15? This is one of our, you know, anchor texts as a ministry. And listen, your understanding of verse 17 must be predicated on your understanding of verse 15. And in verse 15, he says, And Christ, Jesus Christ, died for all that those who live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. A lot of people know John 3.16, oh, Jesus died for me. But what you need to see is receiving that as a truth bestows on you a responsibility. If he died for me, I must live for him. Listen. The life that you have is no longer yours to live. You must live for his name, the propagation of his message, his fame. That must be at the topmost you know, corner of your mind. And so in verse 17, it says, therefore, any text that starts with therefore, must challenge you to observe the context properly. Whenever, <laughs> yeah. Whenever you see, therefore, you need to find out what it is there for. <laughs> All right. So, so I'm leaving you. All right. So, verse 15. All right. Must guide your thoughts and your conclusion of the interpretation of verse 17. Verse 15 says you must live for him. Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. What is new about you? Listen, this, a lot of people use verse 17 to teach on salvation. And it's about salvation. But beyond salvation, it's about ministry. If anyone be in, is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. 
what has become new, it says, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Can I tell you something? This text is not just about salvation. It's actually about ministry. When it says you are a new creature, he's talking about the fact that your priorities have been radically altered. Now you, you, you live for God. The life that you have does not belong to you. You don't just wake up and do whatever you like. No. He must guide your actions. He must direct your life. He must influence your life. He must guide your future. Your future is no longer yours to choose. This is the concept of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation is first a gift, then a ministry. He has reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. First a gift, then a ministry. First a gift, then a ministry. You must do something. That gift that you sing about, all oh, the overwhelming, never-ending love of Christ. You must do something. It must stir up a responsibility in you. We must become a responsible church. A responsible church. Thank God for Celebration Church. Celebration Church is a responsible church. Oh, our folks pray. Our folks pray. Our folks give. Our folks evangelize. That's the kind of church that we have. The church in the Bible, the early church, was a responsible church. The church at Philippi, for instance, was a responsible church. Turn the Bible's Philippians 1.7. And Philippians 1.7 will be the framework for my next three teachings. This one, the one on Wednesday and next week Sunday. All right? I'm going to teach on this and expound on these three key words here. Philippians 1.7 says, It is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you all in my heart. In so much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. Oh, the first interesting reality here is, Paul calls suffering for Christ a grace. Think about that. And he was not the first to do so. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 5 from verse 10. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. It says, rejoice. And be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is what the Bible says. It says, if you are persecuted for my namesake, rejoice. It's a blessing. It says, great is your reward. What a mindset to have. So, Paul called it a grace. The chains and his suffering, he called it a grace. And then not just that, don't forget we're talking about responsibility. He says, you are partakers of my grace. Partakers of my grace. So not only am I, do I have chains and suffering, not only do I have to defend the gospel, not only do I have to confirm the gospel, so do you. So do you. You are partakers of my grace. You get to participate in this war. In this journey. You are partakers. Everybody here, just say, I'm a partaker. I, I get to participate. Hallelujah. I'm a partaker. So this is a consciousness to have. The title of my teaching is, Take Your Chains. Take your chains. So, I, I, like I said, there are three key words in Philippians 1.7. Today, I'm going to talk about chains. On Wednesday, I'm going to talk about defense. Next week, Sunday, I'm going to talk about confirmation of the gospel.
three cardinal aspects of global evangelism. So crucial. Take your chains. The building of a responsible church. The building of a responsible church. What does Paul mean by chains? Of course, he means literally he had been chained, <laughs> arrested, imprisoned. That's what he talks about. But generally, it refers to every form of suffering a person would have to encounter in preaching the gospel. It refers to every form of suffering a person will have to encounter in preaching the gospel. Listen, this is the reality no one talks about or very few people talk about these days. You have to understand that the gospel <laughs> is this. Or in the message of the gospel is this truth. Even if you suffer for what you believe, it's worth it. It's worth it. A lot of people have you know, a false idea of the gospel that, you know, your life was taking a downward spiral and then Jesus came and then, you know, you just, everything began to glow up. He healed your body and he heals. He blessed you financially and he blesses, you know. But there is more to this. And so many people have made the mistake of communicating the gospel in such a manner that you don't need conversion to be interested in it. If you come to anybody and you tell them they can do anything to be healed. Or do anything to have money. Or do anything to be prosperous in life. They're going to take it. Even if it's Jesus you are talking about. Jesus or anything else. Oh, you mean if I do this, I'm going to have money? I, I, Count me in. What do I have to say? Oh, I should put my hand on my chest. What should I say along? Oh, I should just say these words after you. Oh, all right, lead me. But that's not the true presentation of the gospel. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able... To separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He means even if I have to die, this gospel will still be worth it. Not high, not death. Not angels. No principality or power. No matter what I have to face in the propagation of this message, it will still be worth it. This is such an important thing for you to notice. That if you lose everything you have for this gospel, it will still be worth it. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a merchant seeking goodly pearls. Matthew chapter 13 from verse 44 to 46. When he found one pearl of great price, he went and with joy sold all that he had to buy that single pearl. And it was not a sacrifice. It was a joy. He joyfully sold all that he had for this pearl. So this is the idea you must have of the gospel. It is worth more than any other thing in your life. It's a smart investment. M mind you, the merchant in, in Matthew 13, that analogy is not the analogy of a radical person. Is the analogy of someone seeking profit. He's a businessman. And Jesus is telling you it's a smart business move to choose Christ above all things. Whether you like it or not, after this life, there is, you step into eternity. Guess what? We all get to live forever. Everybody. Those um, who believe in Jesus have eternal life. Those who don't are going to step into eternal damnation. Whether you like it or not, 
this life is not your end. It's not your end point. And so Jesus is saying, even from a business standpoint, it makes sense that you give your whole life to the cause of the gospel. It makes sense. It's a smart move. It's a smart investment. The interesting thing is, what I'm talk talking about is not, just, is not just a spiritual fact. It's a natural fact. It applies in every aspect of, of living. Risk is a necessary aspect of effective living. You have to understand this. It's a necessary aspect. If you will live effectively, you must embrace some measure of risk. A life void of risk will not be meaningful. You have to understand this. You know, there's a program. <laughs> I don't think you should be watching it, but, you know, my wife was fascinated with the program. And I, I don't really think it's a bad program. I just don't think it's something you should dwell on. And by the way, it's not my wife's favorite program. My wife's favorite program is crime series. All right. All of them. Anything crime. If someone did something and they want to catch the person, my wife, my wife wants to know what's happening. All right. But, but the program is 1,000 ways to die. Have you, uh, have you seen that? Is it 1,000 or 10,000? 1,000 ways to die. And if you watch that program, it's either of two things. It's either you... You know, after the program, you are thankful to God for your life or you are very paranoid. Because that's where you realize people die in the most silly ways. Someone is just walking and something drops from the sky and hits only him. <laughs> you know, and all of that, you know, it makes you paranoid. And so when you watch a program like that, you want to secure your life and make sure you are safe. So what are you going to do? Maybe you stop air travels. Ah, how can I enter a plane? What if the plane drops? Some of you listening to me are scared to travel. What if it drops? Some people throughout, you know, um, an air journey, you know, they're, they're just, don't talk to them. They're nervous. It's work for them. They're not relaxing. They just want to get off that, that, that air, airline or that airplane. All right. So you say, no air travels, that's cancelled. No road travels, that's cancelled. I, I want to live a life void of risks. Do you know how many people die on the road? When you see silly accidents, especially when you realize that it's not just about you knowing how to drive. Some other foolish person can, of his own foolishness, attack you. <laughs> no matter how careful you are. So, no road travels. Do you know what that will mean? That will mean you will not be educated because if you want to go to school, even if there's a primary school on your street, I doubt there's a university on your street. You know, so that, that means you're not going to go to school. You're not going to have a job. All right. And no electricity. You know, someone, you know, that I mentored talked to me about how there was a simple electrical problem in his house. He called an electrician. To help out, that one just joined all the wires together. And when he went to work, they called him that his house was burning. So, electricity is too risky. That one is also cancelled. So, you just go and find a hut somewhere. You know, no friends. No, friends cannot be trusted. Haven't you read in all the blogs, someone will come, maybe out of jealousy, he will now use axe and dissect you. No, 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 you're not having any of that. So, no friends. But the question is, what kind of life would you live? Totally void of risks. So here's what I want to tell you. It's something you know. It, it might not, you, you might not have the presence of mind to have articulated it in this way. But it is something that intrinsically you have embraced. Risk becomes worth it when risk, risk brings out the best in us. It becomes worth it. Anytime there is a threat in front of you, subconsciously, you think you're not a good mathematician, but in split seconds, you calculate the potential value and, and the worth of the struggle 
versus the risk. You divide it. <laughs> and if you come out with the whole number, you do it anyway. That's what informs most of the decisions in our lives. So, you want to be careful. It might be safer for you to trek by foot from here to Ghana, but it's not worth it. <laughs> so what do you do? You enter the plane, and as scared as you are, you tie, fasten your seatbelt, you hold your, your neighbor if you need to. <laughs> Have you seen people that hold their neighbor when there's a turbulence on the plane? plane? Neighbor that they didn't greet before. Reflect, ah, you know, and I like, get off. Not me, though. I'll never do that. I'm like, lean on me. All right. <laughs> but it's not worth it. You're going to waste your life that way. A typical example is what the world is going through now. There's a pandemic in the world, right? And initially, the first reaction of all nations was to shut everybody in. Lockdown. But when one month passed, two months passed, everybody said, wait, oh, hunger is killing more people than this virus. <laughs> Listen, and I'm not advocating for you to be careless or anything. I've said it a million times. Take all the safety precautions. But the way everybody is opening everything up now, you just know that. <laughs> They've measured it. They've measured the risk. It's called risk analysis. This is something that people do. It informs business choice. I said all of that to say this. You're not as scared as you think. Everything that you, you shy away from, you have assessed the value. And you think it, it doesn't value as, I mean, it's not as important to you. I've seen women who think they are scared of dogs. The moment you hear that your toddler, your child, your daughter is out there, and there's a dog after that. Have, have, you might have seen clips. You don't even think about it. The same you that will not even enter um, a house that has a dog. I mean, you see them running. Some will charge against the dog subconsciously. Because there is something in us. An inner propensity to respond to everything that threatens the things that we value. And so if you hear a sermon like this and you think it's too radical, the problem is not the sermon. The problem is your value system. You see, there is something me and Apostle Paul have in common. We have both been robbed. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Paul talks about all the perils he went to through 2 Corinthians 11 and talked about the perils of robbers and all of that. And he said, ah, why did God allow it? Ask him when you see him. <laughs> Do you understand? I saw miracles that day, not just the kind of miracles that you would have expected. I wanted action. You came to rob me, roll on the floor. Raise one leg, you know, but that didn't happen. But I said all of that to say this. I was sleeping. My wife, I prayed that evening, you know, prayed with someone. We had service, long day. I was sleeping. My wife tapped me and said, there are people trying to get in subconsciously all right something was fueling i just told her okay take the um um our last daughter go into that room and guess what as they were trying to break through the front door instead of me finding a place to hide you know what i did i went towards the door because all that was on my mind was my wife and my daughters so I, I wanted them to find me first. And can I tell you something? At that moment, I didn't even know I was doing anything brave. It was, in fact, I didn't know it was brave until days after. When my wife was telling the, 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 the story to her mom. And she said, as they broke open the door, my husband was there, you know. And she was like, your husband did what? And so when she told me, I was like, oh, it's true, it was brave. <laughs> because I was just like, as they opened the door, I was there, I said, Take whatever you want and go. Praise the Lord. It's, it, now, it's not something to rehearse. It's not something. You, 
there is an inner mechanism that makes you respond to protect things that you truly value. So now the question is, this gospel that we are talking about, what premium have you placed on it? That's the real question here. Do you really value it? Do you really believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life? Do you believe in everlasting life? Do you really believe that though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that the earnest expectation of the creature is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God? Do you believe that? Do you believe that even though this tabernacle, this earthly house perishes, we have a building from God, eternal and from heaven. That if this body is destroyed, you're going to get a new one. If you believe that, if you believe that, you know, video g game people know what I'm saying. In an average game, you have three lives. And if you want to try new things, you don't try new things when you have one life left. <laughs> you don't try new things. Do you know why the apostles were as radical as they were? It's because they really believed the gospel. They believed that even if you sleep in the Lord, at the trump of God, you will rise. That's why he said, don't mourn like them that have no hope. Let the people who don't have eternal life be careful. Hallelujah. If you really believe the gospel, your perspective to risk will change. You're not as scared as you think. It's a value problem. You see, the paradox of purpose is this. When you finally find something to live for, you have finally found something worth dying for. Whatever is worth living for is also worth dying for. That's the paradox of purpose. If you have nothing to die for, you have nothing to live for. It's a general fact of life. You, can I tell you something? You see unbelievers practicing these things. You see Nelson Mandela willingly going to prison for 27 years for his nation. This is something that Nigerians can't understand. Go to prison for which, na which nation? Which nation? Why? <laughs> you know, but it's very inspiring to see, read of other people who have done it. <laughs> you know, 27 years. He wasn't suffering for the gospel. He just loved his nation. He believed that his nation was worth it. His life was constantly at risk. He believed it was worth it. People have given the ultimate price for much less. People have died for their countries. What about the gospel of Jesus Christ? What I'm telling you is not something that is not generally accepted in life. People will always pay the price for things that they value. Take your chains. Three things that I want to emphasize before I close. Number one, you must identify with the sufferings of Christ. Identify. Don't be a hypocrite. Identify with the sufferings of Christ. Number two, you must identify with the sufferings of the apostles. Number three, you must identify with the sufferings of saints in your day. 
time is fast spent, so I'm going to rush through this. Number one, identify with the sufferings of Christ. Here are texts in the Bible that you hardly hear preached, but you're going to hear today. Do you know what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22? 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22. It says, for this, for to this you were called. <laughs> for to this you were called. This is your calling. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He says, so if anyone to arrest you and you are not guilty or persecute you, you know, some of us are so sensitive. Someone is talking about us online and we can't even take it. You're not even arrested. You just can't even speak up in a free society. You just don't want that smoke. But it says, Christ left us an example. To follow in his steps. Philippians 1.29. Philippians 1.29. It says, for to you it is granted on behalf of Christ. Oh my goodness. Are you listening to this? For to you it is granted on behalf of Christ. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It is granted. This is your privilege. This is your calling. That every time you need to stand up, you stand up. You take your stand. It is granted on behalf of Christ. Not just to believe, but to suffer. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. This is even more conclusive. It says, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a conclusion. It's a fact. It's a fact. And the sooner you embrace this, the more prepared you will be. The more prepared you would be. I like the fact that the first word in that verse is yes. It's affirmative. Is it this? This is, this is normal. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The same 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12 says, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Identify with the sufferings of Christ. Next, identify with the sufferings of the apostles. I don't have time to talk about this. I'm going to share one simple, short text with you on this. After Paul had written to Colossae, his letter, his epistle to Colossae, he ends that epistle in the most unusual way. And in Colossians chapter 4 verse 18. He says his final words. Remember my bonds. Grace be to you. Remember my bonds. Think about it. I'm in prison. Don't look away. Don't act as if you're unperturbed. Don't be unperturbed. Don't act as if it does not concern you. Remember. Remember my bonds. In our generation, we move too quickly. We have been desensitized from a heart of compassion. Now, it has come to a point where we just read in the news, 20 people were killed. We just say, mm, mm, and we move on. Paul says, Remember. Remember. Also, identify with the sufferings of saints in your day. Identify with the sufferings of saints in your day. I want to quickly read a short data to you. This data is from Open Doors World Watch List. 
Open Doors World Watch List. This is a data for 2020 alone. So all I'm about to read to you has happened this year, just this year. It says, more than 260 million Christians face persecution today. 260 million are facing persecution. That's an increase of 15 million from last year. So Christian persecution is on the rise. Listen to me, children of God. Christian persecution is on the rise. Every day, an average of eight Christians are killed for their faith. Eight. I'm talking about 2020. I'm not talking about something that happened, you know, at the Second World War. 20 Christians, uh, sorry, 8 Christians are killed daily. An average of 8 yesterday. An average of 8 will be killed today. This is data. An average of 23 Christians are raped or sexually harassed for faith-related reasons. Daily. Every week, an average of 182 Churches or Christian buildings are attacked. One hundred and eighty-two. One hundred and two Christian homes, shops, or businesses are attacked. Every month, an average of three hundred and nine Christians are unjustly imprisoned. For their faith. Listen, all of this is 2020 alone. You know what the Bible tells you in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3? It says, Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. Meaning, he's, he's not just telling you to remember, He's telling you the extent of your compassion and participation. He said, let it be as if you were the one. So today, the question that you must ask yourself is, what if it was you? What if it was your blood brother? What if it was your son? What if it was your dad? What if it was your mom? What if it was your wife? What will you do? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It's important we talk about this. Some people, you know, are asking, why? Why wouldn't this stop? Why wouldn't God do anything about it? We've been praying. Why wouldn't it just stop? Why can't God, you know, one day just send fire to burn all the people persecuting the church? In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul talks about something he calls a thorn in the flesh. And in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, it says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. So this thorn in the flesh, he said, I prayed about it three times. This is Paul. Paul was the one who taught us a lot about prayer. He taught a lot about prayer in his epistles. He definitely knows how to pray. And he prayed three times for this thing to stop. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in, my weak, in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, he, he says, most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So this infirmity, this limitation that he prayed should go. He says he will glory in it because he knows that, that by sovereign ordination, it's not going. You might pray, Lord, let all the persecution in the world stop. It's not going to stop. So Paul changed his strategy. Instead of praying for it to go away, he says, I will glory in it. That the power of God may rest in, in me. And then in verse 10, he says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities 
in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions. A lot of people thought Paul's thorn in the flesh was referring to sickness. No, a thousand times no. He was talking about persecutions. So he was persecuted. All right. And he prayed for it to stop. But it would not stop. You know why? Because God does not desire, desire that anyone will perish, but that all will come to the knowledge of the truth. And as annoying as it might be that God gives everyone a chance, if God killed all his enemies, we will all be dead. Before we heard the gospel, we would have died. Paul himself was once an enemy of the church. And he, 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 he was instrumental to the arrest of many Christians. If God killed all his enemies, Paul would not even be in the position to pray for God to deliver him from that trouble. So on one hand, we have to understand that we're still dealing with a God who is still in love with sinners. He wants them saved. We must bear that in mind. It's a perspective we must have. He still wants them saved. If you want to understand where Paul got the, the thorn in the flesh metaphor from, read Numbers chapter 33 verse 55. Numbers 33 55, it says, But if, if, we do not, if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then it shall come to pass that they shall remain of them, shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns on your side, and they shall vex you in the land. So it was a common metaphor for persecution. Alright? Not sickness. Joshua chapter 23 verse 13, the same thing. Joshua 23 13. Judges chapter 2 verse 3, the same thing. You see that metaphor repeated three times. So anyone who is conversant with Old Testament texts will know that Paul was referring to persecution, not sickness. And that's why he said in verse 10, I will take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For I am weak. So you see, the weakness was not sickness, but persecution. He says, I am weak, then I am strong. So what then do we do? You have to pray, first and foremost. You know, a lot of people are losing patience. And they say prayer is not enough. Yes. Honestly, we can do more. And I'm going to talk about that. That's the reality. We can do more. And I will tell you why. But never come to a point where you think that you can fight spiritual battles just with intellect. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. You are not wiser than God. And the Bible tells us to pray. And so you must pray. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1. It, I'll read verse 1 and 2. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. A lot of people don't think it is pragmatic to pray for deliverance from wicked and unreasonable men. But you cannot believe the Bible and wind up with such false claim. It says, pray. Yes, there are things that we can do. And can I tell you something? There's a balance here. Don't wind up into, you know, heroism. Where you think that um, because you must die for Christ, people are threatening your life and you do nothing about it. That's alien to the scriptures. Can I tell you something? When people were released from prison supernaturally in the Bible, they didn't stay there. They didn't stay there. In fact, not only did they come out of the prison, they left that vicinity totally. That's something to bear in mind. So on one hand, they were willing to preach the gospel. But on the other hand, it's not as if they just stayed and surrendered their backs. 
They didn't take up arms, definitely. Praise the Lord. So this is important. This is important. Someone says, oh, even Paul had a revelation. Someone told him they were going to bind your hands in Jerusalem. Don't forget you're talking to someone who was in prison. He prayed and then sang with Silas and the prison doors opened. And now you're telling him they are going to bind you. And you think that's going to stop him. Of course, he went gladly. God's done it before. Death was a different thing. He was willing to be beaten. He was willing to be arrested. But it's not as if he just walked consciously into his own death. Even though when it came, he still gladly embraced it. So there is still some form of responsibility that we must have. And I'm going to talk about that. But the Bible says pray. Pray. Prayer can do a lot. The problem with many Christians is that they think that uh, the prayers are not being answered because they are not hearing strange stories that, ah, as, you know, the terrorists were coming, the ground opened and everybody sank. They are not hearing stories like that. And so they think God is not working. But when, let me give you a simple example. In Acts chapter 12, the Bible says Herod took James and killed James. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he picked Peter also. Guess what? The church prayed. Peter was released. Guess what happened after that? You may think it's a coincidence, but right in that same chapter, from nowhere, Herod just was feeling happy and made salutations as a God. And they began to praise him like a God. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord struck him. The thing is, some of you have read that chapter many times and you didn't even see the connection. You didn't even see the connection. And right after that, the gospel began to increase again. Many times these things happen in a way that you don't know. But I'm telling you with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my spirit, prayer works. And we will keep praying. Hey, friends. This month, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And we are going to receive answers. We're going to pray for Southern Kaduna. We're going to pray for the northern part of this country. The gospel will prevail. The next thing I want to talk about is advocacy. Listen. Now, this is not really um, the typical religious or theological idea. But let me tell you this. In Luke chapter 18, even, this was, even though this was a teaching on prayer, there's an important lesson there. Jesus told this story. In Luke chapter 18 from verse 2, he says, There was a certain city, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God or regard man. Very similar to the leaders of this nation. People, Christians die and they act as if they're not moved. Nobody is saying anything. Acting as if it's animals that are being killed. Since there was, a, there is, there was in a certain city... A judge who did not fear God nor regard man. He says, now there was a widow in that city. She came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. Like many people are saying, justice for Kaduna, justice for Kaduna, justice for northern Nigeria. And the Bible says, and he would not for a while. He says, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. There is something about people and leaders who don't have a sense of responsibility. And this is something you must know. Sometimes you need to put pressure on them. If you are silent, a lot of things that you don't like will continue. So the ruler says, I, I don't fear God or man. 
But this, this lady will not let me be. So let, let me do it and have peace. Watch the world well. It is when people begin to cry out. That's when change happens. Look at what is happening in America with Black Lives Matter. Was, was George Floyd the first black man to be killed? He wasn't. Can I tell you something? It's an observation in Nigeria. We move on too quickly. We move on. They know this about us. They know that we will just shout on Twitter and then we'll move on. They know. So when something happens, they just wait for the dust to cool off. That's what they do all the time. But it's, it's a teaching in the word. Even unrighteous people know that if you turn the heat up, they will respond. That's why you must not be silent. You have to understand Paul's context and your context are different. In Paul's context, the, the leadership of the day was totally anti-Christ. But in your context, you have a government that in, in its constitution talks about freedom of religion. Freedom of worship. We must hold them accountable to that constitution. If you don't, this will continue. This will continue. Don't just think, I mean, the same Bible in Romans chapter 13 talks about the fact that the government is put in place by God for justice. For justice. Use what you have. The same period the lives are being slaughtered in southern Cardona. Do you know what was trending on Twitter? Big brother. That's what is trending. And guess what? Many Christians are, are tweeting that rubbish too. Misplaced priorities is what I'm talking about. The program is none of my business. But at the expense of what? What is wrong with you? I'm calling on every intelligent person, every lawyer, every enlightened person. Stand up and listen. I'm talking, let me, let me, listen to me, young pastors all over the world. You see, we act as if we have different priorities, as if we're in a different country. I've noticed many young pastors don't talk about stuff. They don't talk about things like this. And we're setting a dangerous precedent because in the mind of these folks, they just feel, okay, when the elders that are talking, when they phase out, then they will have their way with us. You are lying. Read your Bible well. God never leaves a generation without a prophet. You have to understand this. I'm calling every young pastor in this country, stand up and talk. Everyone who has a Twitter handle, you know, some people are so ignorant about what Satan is doing. When we say, tweet, Pastor Aaron said, they are like, what, are we misplacing our priorities? Do you realize what is happening? I'm going to talk about that. Advocacy, there's a lot we can do. I want to round off with a very important text. A text that has been abused many times. People use this for exams. 2 Timothy 1, 7. I'll read verse 7 and 8. When your exam is coming and you are afraid, you are anxious, you know, say, God has not given us the spirit of fear. We permit you. <laughs> but by all means, let's not forget the original context of that scripture. Paul was using this truth of the gospel to challenge Timothy not to run away from the demands of the faith 
Don't run away from persecution. Don't be silent because people are trying to silence you. And so, in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Verse 8 says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Therefore, because God has not given you the spirit of fear, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. Share. Share this burden. God has not given us the spirit of fear. We refuse to be afraid. We will not be silent. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Do not be ashamed. This is an era where we must be bold. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't look away when good people have been killed. Men of God have been killed. Children have been killed. Women have been killed. God has not given us a spirit of fear. You know what he has given us? Power, love, sound mind. Let his love that he has given you, let it speak. He has given you love. You can't look away. That would not be walking in love. You can't look away. You can act blind. You can act deaf. God has not given us the spirit of fear. We declare this morning that God has not given us the spirit of fear. So we refuse to fear. We will not be silent. He has given us power, love and a sound mind. I want you to stand to your feet wherever you are. And begin to pray in the spirit right now. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.